0: We want it our way, or the highway. Pastor Xavier Reese says there's a higher way still. Mary was pressured at
1: this wedding by the circumstances and attempted to pressure Jesus to act on her petition. See, we always want to tell God when to move, how to do it. And I think many times we miss what God wants to do because we're looking for it the way we told him to send it. And God does it a complete different way. And you know what? It ends up being twice as
0: good. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Tragedy to Triumph, a common plot to nearly all the books we read and movies we see. Well, as Pastor Xavier illustrates for us today, a scenario Jesus was able to use as well from the story of the wedding feast at Cana. In fact, it was a miracle that saved the day and as we'll see in this the first miracle of Jesus there are many rich spiritual lessons written into the story so let's join pastor Xavier setting the stage for today's simple truth
1: John chapter 2 verses 1 through 12 and I've entitled the message just plainly the wedding feast at Canaan because that's what it is have you ever been to a wedding reception where they ran out of drink or food if you have then you know exactly the feelings of panic and embarrassment that were going through the people here at Canaan. What we want to do is look at four things regarding the wedding feast at Canaan. First, we want to look at the people at the wedding. Secondly, we're going to look at the problem of the wedding. Then thirdly, the proclamation at the wedding And then we want to finish out by looking at some principles from the wedding that will be applicable to our own life. Let me read verses 1 through 12 and we'll look at it. On the third day, there was a wedding in Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me, my hour, my hour, Has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some now out, and take it to the master of the feast, and they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water, that was made wine and did not know where it came from but the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him every man at the beginning sets out the good wine and when the guests have well drunk then that which is inferior but you have kept the good wine until now this beginning of signs jesus did in cana of galilee And manifested his glory, and his disciples believed on him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brother, his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Notice, first of all, the people at the wedding. The first one is Mary, the mother of Jesus. She must have been part of the wedding party, or related to the family it's not indicated we don't know but it's a good indication by verse one she was present already there and in verse five she tells the servants to do whatever Jesus would say so she was a person who was in the inner circle at that wedding notice that she is also alone Joseph is not mentioned a good indication that by this time Joseph has died Uh, Last time we saw Joseph Is when Jesus was about 12 years of age And they were there in Jerusalem at the temple After that we don't hear of him So without doubt he has died Because in those days you went with your husband You didn't go alone Unless you were a widow or or otherwise The second individual we want to see Is Jesus and his disciples himself And we find there in verse 2 That Jesus had already uh, now arriving Had been invited along with his disciples Now of course Probably the disciples are those who we have read in the first chapter, Andrew and John and Peter, and certainly Philip and Nathaniel, and possibly James, the brother of John, because the indication in the first chapter is that Peter, uh, Andrew first went and found Peter, and the indication could be that perhaps also John went and got James. So five at least, maybe six, are with Jesus. Half of his disciples... Are already with him Their arrival was on the third day Mark that well The third day is in connection To the fourth day In the previous chapter Verse 43 of chapter 1 Now it's obvious that John is concerned With the timeline here The sequential days He's given to us in chapter 1 verse 29 First one is in verse 19 Then in verse 35 um, You have the third day And then in verse 43 You have the fourth day And now you have on the third day Now, the Mishnah, which is the Jewish oral tradition of the law, contained interpretations and applications to specific questions which were only dealt in principle in the law. And the Mishnah stated that virgins were married on Wednesdays and widows were married on Thursdays. And it's very specific there. And the feast lasted one week, possibly two so, it's a lot different than our weddings. Uh, the procession would begin with the groom uh, as he led his friends to the house of the bride. And she would not know when he would come. Most of the time, it was at night. And he would then get her, and they would continue in the procession down to his house where the feast would take place. And there they would enjoy a celebration with their guests for one week. They didn't go on a honeymoon that evening, They they, they were with their guests. For a week, okay? Um, now, some say here that the third day means the third day of the wedding, and see a hidden meaning of Israel's future restoration, as Hosea 6 2 declares, uh, that on the third day he will revive her. Now, there's a parallel, but I don't know if this is the intention of John. Um, sometimes we see more than, than is in the text. Uh, It's all right to run a parallel through it, but uh, I don't know if that's really his intention here. Uh, Now, others say it means the third day after the fourth of the previous day in verse 43 there, which would make it the sixth or the seventh day towards the end of the wedding. And perhaps this is the most logical and practical in the sequential order that John is giving to us. Uh, either way, it doesn't matter, I right? Just kind of just run you through it so you see what's going on here. But John is interested that we realize that it is the third day and that, it, that he, we follow this chronology. All of chapter one through five deals with really the ministry at Judea and Jerusalem except for this section right here. The next individuals are the servants, And they're found there in verse 5, the first portion, and verse 9, the middle portion. Um, And they were the ones who were attending to the wedding. And these individuals were very important. As you know, if if you've ever been to any wedding, you know that those people who are the servants who are helping the workers, it's just great. You as the bride and groom don't have to worry about nothing. Everything's taken care of. There's also another individual, and that is the master of the feast. And he is found in verses 8 and 9. He was the superintendent of the dining room, the table master who presided over the feast. He was one of the guests selected by Lot to prescribe the the rest on the mode of drinking. He also had the duty of placing in order the tables, the couches, and arranged the courses, taste the food, and the wine beforehand. A very important individual the phrase master the feast is found only three times in the New Testament it is found right here in John verse 8 and verse 9 nowhere else is it found the phrase is derived from the word uh, "triclina," which were couches that recline for three people to to eat off of remember that they did not eat dinner and meals the way we do we sit on chairs They reclined. That is why you read in the Gospel of John where it says that he who loved Jesus or the one who Jesus loved leaned upon Jesus' breast because he's leaning back on the couch. And there are these couches that they would lean back on one elbow and they would eat. And they would kick back and talk and everything else. They didn't have fast food chains, you know. I mean, they they sat down and, 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 and fellowshiped. And this is where his name comes from there's one more individual we need to look at and that is the groom. The groom is found in verse 9 at the end. He is mentioned only once. He was responsible for all the arrangements along with his family. And he and his family had invited various individual guests to witness the commitment of his love in the celebration with him. But he's only mentioned this one time. Now, the people at the wedding are pointed out by John because they are key persons in what he wants us to know and learn. Nothing is by coincidence in John. Everything is detailed, even the third day, even the comment that we'll look down and we'll see another comment that John makes. And and he's very detailed. He doesn't want us to miss these detailed things. Now, now that we've looked at the people, let's look at the problem at the wedding. This is found in verses 3 through 8. In verse 3, the mother of Jesus came to him and declared that they were out of wine. Now, did she think that he had brought some wine with him? Did she think that he was going to go get some wine? Or did she see the opportunity to finally demonstrate to all that truly she had not been faithless to Joseph and that she had been impregnated by God and he was the Messiah. Remember that she must have suffered much through her life up to this point. You know people, their gossip, their talk, their innuendos. And I'm sure that her reputation carried on even to this day. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees said one day to Jesus in John 8, 41, later we'll get to it, we are not born of fornication. He's already started his ministry. He's over 30 years of age, and and the religious rulers are telling him, listen, at least we have a daddy. Can you imagine calling God a bastard? That's what they did. So you can see the herd. Now, you, you've you been around long enough. You, you know people you, because you're one. And um, you know how self-righteous we can become, how snooty. You know how we can kind of just not only stick the knife in but turn it. Uh, when somebody's made a mistake and we, you know, we don't want to be so graceful. We want to just show people really who they are, and, and we're not going to let them get away with it. And um, it's, it's, it's a wonder that God doesn't repay us according to our deeds. It really is. Remember, Simeon had prophesied that a sword would pierce her heart at his dedication. Hmm. What a faithful woman. Now, there were potential social problems Because of the situation here The fact that they had made inadequate provisions for the wedding Was an embarrassing event for the family Number one But secondly, there was a reciprocal liability in the ancient East That made a person liable for improper preparations at a wedding Or an improper Gift being given. How interesting. Now, there are a lot of reciprocal things that we live under that are not written down. As a matter of fact, there are certain restaurants that you do not go unless you can wear certain clothes. It's understood. You do not go to a certain restaurant Unless you're willing to spend A certain amount of money, my wife was telling me that in Chicago, as she was doing the conference back there, the the one of the women there was telling her that it's a hassle to go to weddings over in Chicago because you don't dare go to a wedding unless you're willing to spend at least fifty dollars in a gift. It's understood, and there are a lot of things like that that are just understood. This was one of them. So if a person didn't make adequate Preparations, the guest could come back and bring litigation against them. And if the individual didn't give an adequate, proper gift, then the groom and the bride could bring litigation against them. How interesting. (laughs) Now, notice thoroughly that the Messiah, Jesus, had begun his ministry in verses 4 and 5. Mary was pressured by the circumstances and attempted to pressure Jesus to act on her petition. Isn't that always just like us? We want to pressure God, right? Oh, Lord, I only got a week. Come on. Yeah. As if God is up there biting his nails. You know what I mean? Jesus responds with honor and respect the phrase woman in the Aramaic is used for respect and is used again by him for her at the cross. Chapter 19, verse 26, as well as for Mary Magdalene after the resurrection in chapter 20, verse 15. It's much like ma'am, lady, uh, uh, missus. It's, It's a form of respect. There's no disrespect here. But Jesus, in a mild reproof, communicates very clearly to her that he is guided now by the will of God his Father, not by her motherly authority over him. What does your concern have to do with me? It's very, very clear. There's no disrespect. There's no dishonor. But there is a clear proclamation that the ties are cut. Very clear. But Jesus also says that his hour had not yet come. You see, the phrase is repeated throughout the Gospel of John many, many times, the key phrase. The phrase in this context could be interpreted to mean the specific time to act at this wedding. It was not specifically right then and there. It would be God's timing. See, we always want to tell God when to move. And then we want to tell them how to do it. And have you ever picked up that God doesn't really care about our information? (laughs) That he's not pressured by it? But he always does everything according to his time, according to his will, and the way he wants to do it? And I think many times we miss what God wants to do because we're looking for it the way we told Him to send it. And we're looking for Him to work in the way that we told Him to work. And it's almost like we're standing there going, okay, let's see if He does it. You know, I mean, and God does it a complete different way. And you know what? It ends up being twice as good. Always twice as good. The phrase certainly points to the ultimate hour that he came for to die on the cross. That's the climax of the statement. Now, notice in verse 5 that Mary submits to the clear communication of Jesus. She addresses the servants to do as he would bid them. I would imagine these servants kind of raise their eyebrow. Here's a guest that just arrived, and this woman tells them to listen to what he tells them. But notice fourthly in verses 6 through 8 That the only provisions they had was water Now that is a problem You know it's be like you telling your husband Honey I'm out of gas say, Oh it's okay just pull it up here the faucet Don't worry about it And gets the hose and starts putting water in it All you got is water You, you would start being concerned The purification pots were present For the people to wash their hands, their feet, before the meal, and even between courses, according to the Jewish rites. Cups, plates, saucers, many things had to be washed before. A lot of preparation. Uh, Water was part of the ritual for purification rites. But notice that there were six containers, uh, approximately 120 to 180 gallons of water. Six is the number of men and imperfection. The stone pots represented the law, which was insufficient through the weakness of man to bring us to God, but it could only lead us to Christ. Paul picks this up as he speaks to the Corinthians, the ministration of condemnation and death compared to the ministration of grace and life, much superior. Not that the law was inferior in and of itself, but the law was insufficient because of the weakness of man. What the law could not do because of the weakness of man, God sent for the son made of a woman under the law, Paul says, to condemn sin in the flesh. The law is just holy and good. Nothing wrong with the law, the problem's with me. I can't keep the law. All the law can do is point to my guilt, accuse me. Judge me. Condemn me. And so Jesus told the servants to fill them, and they did so to the brim. Verse 7. And then Jesus told the servant to draw some out and take it to the master of the feast in verse 8. So here we have the problem at the wedding. It was not a light matter, was it? I mean, you've got all these people here, (laughs) you have no more wine. What do you do? Notice thirdly the proclamation of the wedding in verses 9 down to 12. In verse 9 and 10, the master of the feast commended the groom. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then that which is inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. The miracle at Canaan was the first miracle of Jesus. Verse 11 and 12 tells us. The miracle was the beginning of signs Jesus did. The first of seven in John's gospel. The second also took place in Canaan. In chapter 4, verse 54 says, This again is the second sign that Jesus did when he came out of Judea into Galilee. The nobleman's son, verse 46. So Jesus came to again the Cana of the Galilee where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And so, both of his miracles here. Now, the word manifested means to reveal. So here the miracle manifested His glory as the only begotten Son who became incarnate, according to chapter 1, verse 14. Who He beheld His glory as the only begotten the Father, full of grace and truth. The word sign there is not so much focusing on the power of the miracle, but it points beyond the miracle to the person of Jesus Christ. There are two other words that are used for power and for the miracle, but this is used for a, a sign to point, and, and John uses exclusively this throughout his gospel. It's like if you're driving down the street and a sign says um, yield to traffic on the right or no left turn or merging traffic, it, uh, the sign tells you, points you somewhere. Uh, This is what the signs that John has chosen. They, They want us to get beyond the event, the miracle, and to go to the leading that it points to Jesus. And so the proclamation at the wedding resulted in God's glory being manifested. Isn't that what it's all about? Doesn't God take the problems of our life, the situations of our life, so that He might work in and through them, that He might receive the glory and that we might be changed. He does that all the time.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese pointing out for us the good that can come from our tragedy, a simple truth for those that look to the Lord Jesus as Savior. And Pastor Xavier is just halfway through a study titled The Wedding Feast at Cana, another fascinating study from the Gospel of John. Now you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But there's much more to come right here next time as well. But if you can't join us then, you can always pick up a copy of this challenging message on CD for only $4. Mention the title The Wedding Feast at Cana yours for including just $4 when you write to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. So contact us soon. And when you do, please let us know the call letters of this station. Well, next time, Pastor Xavier brings us some of the simple truths to strengthen your marriage taken from the wedding feast at Cana. Hope you'll be along. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com